Welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and now God only knows what I'd be without you guys. With me today, Aww. as always, <laughs> are Peter. Hey. And Barrio. Hey, hey. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today, we'll be discussing Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, an album from 1965, one of the most successful music albums of all times, I think. And, uh, well, be prepared to hear Barrio and me mispronounce the word beach. throughout the episode. <laughs> Next episode, we'll be discussing Man on Wire, a documentary that came out in 2008. More on that near the end of this episode. And uh, as always, you can find all the ways to contact us and follow us in the show notes. I just want to say thanks to everyone who left a review. Um, we have, I think, like three reviews now, which I didn't expect and they were really nice. And uh, well, thank you guys. As we mentioned before, episode 10 that's coming up will be a journey log. Uh, I'm preparing something fun for that episode, and uh, we'll be discussing all the other episodes we've done. Send us any question related or unrelated to anything we've done so far, and thank you again for listening. Before we go to the main discussion, we wanted to talk about something that we thought was interesting. Um, Quartz, which is a business-focused news publication, um, has done a project that's called The World in 50 Years. I'll link to it in the show notes. They asked over 40 experts a bunch of questions about how the world will look in 50 years. So I think we each brought an interesting question to discuss. Barya, do you want to start? Sure. So there are a lot of questions there uh, from how countries will be built to how like very specific aspects of our lives will be managed. What will we eat? How will we find love? How will we communicate with each other? I don't know. I think it's something that, that's always... worth contemplating with friends. I think one of the things that I kind of thought the most was about genetical engineering because it kind of came across all over the board. And I think that genetic engineering is, is very interesting because, well, first, I think that it's going to affect our nutrition. We will be able to grow a lot of, we will have to grow a lot of our, our food because you'll have to be able to significantly raise the amount of food that we can generate and and I think that getting there with with uh, genetic engineering is probably what's going to happen and the thing is yeah. that it will also affect like the compounds that we actually get into our body and of course we expect them to be like the best nutrition and when it will get cheaper we'll kind of see that also the lifespan kind of grows but it also makes you think about uh, society gaps and Like, will everyone eat this uh, genetically engineered superfood or maybe only the rich people? Or maybe it will be only the rich people that will actually be able to eat something that is not engineered and like natural food. Yeah, classical <laughs> food. Getting McDonald's will, will be considered a classical food. Um, 
And that's only the nutrition part. We're talking about also probably eliminating a lot of the diseases. So a lot of the illnesses that we see today won't exist anymore. And it also kind of affects, I don't know, warfare. Like imagine that we will start using genetical modification in order to create some actual weapons, which is <laughs> something kind of scary. Like what, what are you going to do? We could have like cannons on our arms or something. Yeah. <laughs> or imagine that something that actually ruins your DNA in a very fast rate or kind of changes you to something that is even worse than death, like make you a Cronenberg-like monster. Imagine that you bring that thing into actual warfare. It kind of, it, it sounds even scarier than actually dying. So that, that's, that was like kind of the aspect that I thought the most about. Yeah, it definitely came up in a lot of answers to a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> and I think today with uh, technologies like CRISPR-Cas9 and other uh, genetic engineering technologies that are becoming really viable, it's going to make a huge leap in the next 50 years. I think it's going to be very uh, tightly regulated because it's very scary stuff, I think. A lot of people are afraid of it. But I think I've heard about a scientist, I think in China or Russia, that just started using genetic engineering technologies on human embryos, I think. Yeah, and there was this Chinese uh, doctor who actually created an embryo using uh, CRISPR to modify genes. Yeah, CRISPR, it's everywhere. It's not too expensive and not too rare to find now. It could be like the next sort of 3D printing things, you know? It was originally very difficult and now everyone sort of has one. So Yeah, I totally think so. By the way, for people who don't really aware what CRISPR is, it's like a, this special enzyme that lets you like cut and paste like in a very accurate precision uh, different aspects of DNA, and it helped get genetical engineering like three steps forward. I did hear that there are some issues with it. I hear it's advancing in a in a crazy pace, and it's better than we think it is today. It's more exact. You can actually cut a specific area of the DNA and insert anything else you want. So mm. it's very useful. I, I definitely think 50 years is more than enough time for it to become widespread. And I think the problem with um, America and Europe regulating it is that you always run the risk that China and Russia and India are going to, maybe less so India, but um, those two superpowers are going to sort of run wild with it. You know, you never know mm -hmm. what yeah. what the risk is going to be. So, and I think People do underestimate the, um, don't want to be a sort of alarmist, but I think with planes and aircraft carriers and stuff like that nowadays, I think people sort of underestimate the value of a human army. I think that's what you would really need if Russia was to invade something in Eastern um, Europe. I think you couldn't do it with planes. You just wouldn't have enough planes to have 100,000 men come over. So I think um, CRISPR could actually become the route to sort of having like a genetically engineered um, army. I mean, it, uh, it depends if um, robots are viable instead, but I mean, we've always used humans, <laughs> so it, it wouldn't be that hard to, you know, just use the CRISPR to sort of improve it compared to training robots and stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what takes off first, but I think 50 years is more than enough time for it to become common. Yeah, I just want to say that um, CRISPR really is great for cutting and pasting DNA, but we still have to find out what to cut and where to paste and mm. how everything works together. It's, yeah. uh, there's, it's still a way away, but we're getting better at it. Usually you have the knowledge, but you lack the technology. But in this 
this time we have the technology. Yeah, we're still, yeah. we're still, yeah, we're still looking sure. for all the learning to read. Um, well, the one I found most interesting was um, what will our borders look like in 50 years? Mm, yeah. And um, there are two ways to interpret this question. I mean, you can look at how the borders, how the map will look like in 50 years, which I, I think, you know, there will be a few differences, but I don't think anything huge will happen. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some massive event that changes everything. But if nothing major happens, no, no massive event I think the, the rate of change of our map will be just the same as today. But you can also look at this question as um, how will our borders look like in terms of passing the borders, moving from a country to another. And I think that other than a few closed off areas like maybe North Korea is now, our borders will be easier to pass through, I think. We see today that more people are able to travel. I heard somewhere in another podcast which is not a credible source, but that about a billion people in the last 15 years entered uh, middle class and can now travel. And I think the world is becoming more connected through the internet and the interest in going to other places is rising. I think it would be much easier to travel, move to other countries. I think migration from poor countries to richer ones will be like the migration we witnessed from rural to city areas. Um, it might be also good for economy, and also it might have upsides for the environment, as concentrating the population in denser areas and building high-risers, it has advantages. What do you guys think? I think you're right, definitely right regarding economy. Like, when people travel, they spend and help money move around is, is always good in a capitalistic way of seeing things. How, will, how do you think it will affect? the individual in a society? I think more people will want to move to richer countries. Um, you know, especially if places like, say, Africa are going to be more connected to the internet and people are going to see all the options that they have. Well, regarding your first question about what what change might we see with the the actual borders, with Africa and the Middle East, I think some borders have just been set up by the British and the French just to put a line on a map. Um, mm. but I think there's mountain ranges, which are more, more of a easier way to set up a border. Cause some, some borders, are, you wouldn't even know what, what the border is because the mountain range or I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that the borders that were set up by the French and the British, I think those will change to become more natural borders because yeah. it's very difficult to defend a border if it's not a natural border. If you just put, if it's a flat ground and there's no mountain range in between it or there's no rivers or there's no nothing like that. I think war is always more common unless there's a reason not to. Uh, regarding your second question, I think um, you want to have people grown, grown up in a country, live there for their childhood or if that, and then that you would want to be able to move to a country which sort of matches your interests, matches your values and stuff because at the moment we're sort of – if you grow up in France, you're expected to have French values and you're expected to sort of love France. But obviously, like, we're sort of getting to the point where we realize now that not everyone likes everything. So um, it would be nice to be able to grow up in France and think, you know, I actually like Germany a little bit better. When you're 20, you move and then that's it. You know, you can just go where you think you want to go and not necessarily because it's better or worse um, in terms of wealth, but it would be nice if you could just go to somewhere that's more in line with what your thinking and stuff like that. So um, I think it will be more like the uni United States, but over the globe. If, if you like different states better, you can just move. And if you can get a job there, then, you know, you can sort of embrace that state 
even if you weren't born there. I think it would be nice if we had a worldwide version of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's becoming more and more feasible now with technology. So, um, Yeah, the world is getting smaller. Yeah, definitely is. I think there's some obstacles, you know. There's still the um, possibility of war and there's still nuclear weapons. There's still North Korea and there's still racism everywhere and stuff. But I think 50 years, I think we'll definitely see some, some progress. Peter, do you want to go on to your question? What will people do for work? Um, I saw a few comments and stuff like that. Uh, Frank Miller said something interesting. He said um, he's the writer of uh, The Dark Knight Returns. He said um, they won't have to, which I think is interesting. Uh, 50 years is very optimistic, but um, I think that would be a nice sort of mission to get to where we don't have to work anymore. Don't you think everything will be automated by then? No, I still think there's many Asian countries that will still be working. Mm. Uh, many African countries that will still be working. Many South American countries which will still be working. Um, but first world countries will obviously leave, lead the movement. And I think 50 years, I think we could get to a point where we wouldn't have to work. I still think people will. I think there'll still be a professional sort of um, area. I think there'll still be law and I think there'll still be politics. I think retail will be mostly sort of boutiques things. I think uh, food production will be mostly automated. I think car production will be mostly automated. Um, and I think um, we'll raise the bar on what we deem to be a necessary job because at the moment we say a necessary job might be working at a bike store working at the supermarket or something like that or working as an accountant or something like that but i think those will be too broad a brush to be working on i think mm -hmm. i think um, we'll be restoring very old vehicles i think we'll be uh, writing books i think we'll be doing um, sort of more i think it will be more creative i don't think they'll be superfluous i think there will be still There'll still be a market, like for say restoring cars, just as an example. At the moment, I think you couldn't make a career off restoring cars if you weren't the best of the best. You know, I think it's more of a hobby, but I think it's still you have to put in the hours. You still have you could still sell it for more. You could still turn a profit if you really tried. But I think in fifty years, I think those will be the norm jobs to, for mm. someone to say, "Oh, I detail cars or something like that," and I work. 25 hour a week or something like that work on a car a week or something i think that would be quite normal for 50 years that's interesting and i think people will start to open up bars and restaurants and stuff with very niche categories you know and they'll still be able to make a profit because we obviously would have more money to spend on these sort of things and mm -hmm. um, i think i think we'll just be very detailed and i think we'll be able to indulge a little bit in jobs which probably wouldn't make rent now but i think we'll have the luxury to sort of do weird and wonderful things i'm not saying we'll be able to swim the sharks for a job but i think we'll definitely be able <laughs> to do some stuff that wouldn't pass nowadays what do you guys think well i think in 50 years um everyone will be working for disney anyway so <laughs> for disney by disney <laughs> Cool. All right, so we also made um, our own predictions of um, how the world will be in 50 years. Peter, what's your prediction? Do you want me to run through a few questions and I'll just um, rattle them off? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. Um, who will run the world? I think mostly the US. Um, and I think in the US, it will be software developers. And my pick um, for the biggest company will be Amazon. I think they're doing more investment than Google at the moment. 
and um, I don't think Apple has enough money not tied up in Ireland, so I think it will be Amazon. Uh, Who will be the most powerful economy? I think it will be China, and I think that'll be measured on trade value, but I don't think they have the alliances to be the uh, most powerful country. I think it will just be the most powerful economy. I was thinking about that question, the one, you know, the first one you mentioned, who's going to be, uh, what what country is going to be the most powerful in 50 years? And I was thinking about it a lot. And then I read something in the book um, Scale by Jeffrey West that you recommended to me. You're welcome. I'm going to read a quote here. Um, I think it's very relevant. It says, um, just as growth is an integral part of life, equally so are aging and death. The fact that almost everything dies plays a central role in the evolutionary process because it allows new adaptations, designs, and innovations to emerge and flourish. From these viewpoints, it's not only good, but also crucial that individuals, whether organisms or companies, die, even if they themselves may not be quite so joyous about it. Hmm. And I think, yeah, you know, the changing of the guard, the United States taking a step back, and maybe China or Russia becomes the strongest country in the world i don't think it's necessarily the best thing that can happen to us but i think it's good to you know to move on to develop yeah um america's not an aging population well they're they're aging but they're not a um they're not going to be an old population in 50 years whereas i think china i think has a more of a chance at that so well i want to say two things i want to say i think it will be america and that i'm optimistic that it will be so hidden in that is that i think i i think it should be america now, I know America gets a lot of hate nowadays for crimes of its past and the crimes it's currently committing, but I think the world is infinitely better if they're in charge than if it was Russia or China. I mean, feel free to prove me wrong, but um, I, I've always come back to this quote. I'm not sure who says it, but um, most countries have a mafia. In Russia, mafia has country. I think <laughs> I think that's actually very, very true. So, And for China, I think, China is a civilization pretending to be a nation. That's kind of my um, very, very succinct thoughts on those two countries. But um, yeah, Um, what will cause the biggest conflicts? I'm just going down the questions, but um, I think it will be um, energy and energy production in Europe. I think it will be ideology in the US and Middle East. And I think it will be inequality in Africa. How will we communicate with each other? I still think it will be phones. I think being able to carry around one device with you to communicate with the world, I think that's still going to be the status quo. But I think we'll have crystal clear communication in phone calls and FaceTime. How will we entertain each other? I I think VR is definitely um, on the move. Um, I think movies and games, I think they're always going to be uh, focal points. Um, I think people will have more time to study as well. So I think that um, I think those sort of things will... Um, still be around. I definitely think, with the exception of Disney, I think we'll definitely see some more decentralization in the entertainment industry. I think we'll see a lot more niche films, indie films, um, produced um, in some of the smaller countries, like Australian films or Israeli films and stuff. What will we eat? I think, um, as we discussed very briefly before, I think um, lab-grown meat, I think that will pretty much overtake meat um, as we know it today. I, th- I think there'll still be meat. I think there'll still be a meat industry. I think it will be very niche. I think it will be... The customers of that um, market will be looked at as barbarics. I think so. I think so. And I think it will be expensive. I think some of the most expensive cuts of meat now, I think that's what you'll be looking at for just traditional meat. And there'll still be people that will hold out, but um, obviously minds will be changed. And um, I think lab-grown meat, grown in vats, 
using um, gene sampling. I think that's I think that's how we're gonna do it. And obviously, we'll be able to make many amazing things and no guilt. So that'd be great. I think low calorie food will also take off. I think at the moment, low calorie food is sort of icky. Like we think, oh, what's wrong with it? What's it going to taste like? I think we'll get to a point where you can go to the shops and comfortably buy a low calorie sort of um, pie or something like that. And I don't know if this is under eating, but I definitely think there'll be a bit of drug um, legalization. And I definitely think there'll be sort of clinics where you can go to to sort of experience these things, more of the psychedelic drugs with um, handler, with a carer and stuff. So I think there'll definitely be some government-funded institutions like that. How will we die? I think we'll live less painfully in our, in our old age, um, again, due to technology. And I think we'll live, I know you've just read Scale by Jeffrey uh, West. Mm-hmm. So I think um, he outlines 125 as our Top pretty much our maximum. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're getting up to the 115, 120. And I think we'll pass assisted dying laws around the world. What will we wear? I think um, this is this is <laughs> kind of fun. I had a, had a thought about this. I think you'll be able to go to a shop, pick what sort of material you want, what style you want, how, like, if we take a pair of jeans, you can pick the color of the denim and the um, sort of the cut, the, um, you know, the style, obviously, like belt loops and zips and pockets and stuff. And then I think you'll be able to stand in like a machine that will scan your body and it will say, well, if you want a, you know, if you want it skin tight, say, it'll scan it and it will print your jeans for you in maybe an hour or something like that. You come back, go for a bit of a shop, come back, and the jeans will fit perfectly for your body. I think that's where we'll go. I, I think Google will already have all of our measurements, and you don't need a yeah. machine to take your measurements. <laughs> or even if you just go into a measurement. I mean, it's only 50 years away, yeah. so. but I think we maybe you could get scanned once a month or something like that. You know, obviously around the holiday season, sometimes measurements change, um, speaking from experience. Um and yeah, you could just say, this is my measurements. Google, you know, obviously use that data very uh, securely. Yeah, we have an app for that, and, Google um, Measure. <laughs> and then you'll be able to just do it. But I think it'll be very cool. I think shopping will be made easy. Um, and I think the clothing will be very personal. I mean, it's getting even more personal now, but we'll get to the stage where you can wear pretty much whatever you want at work. I think the whole trying to find a job with a tattoo, I think that sort of stuff will be... Um, out of the question, I think I think we'll become much more open. I think the business culture might relax a little bit. Maybe not shorts, but maybe you know, very maybe t-shirts or something like that. Um, and I think um, we'll obviously have the futuristic um, fashions with and retro fashions and stuff like that. So um, with futuristic sweat wicking technology that I'm sure Nike will come up with, and you know, little air conditioners in the in the shoulder pads or something like that. So. I think we have a lot to look forward to. And what kind of stories will we tell? This was an interesting one, but I think um, I think we'll still be very interested in modern history, especially in the 20th century. I think there was just so much history in the 20th century. It's just, you could write a thousand books on it. And, um, or make podcasts. Or make a podcast. <laughs> um, so I think, um, I think we'll still definitely be trying to wring the wisdom out of the 20th century as much as we can. And... Um, how will we get information? My last one. Hey, Siri. <laughs> um, I think that's how we'll get information. So, sorry if I just triggered you, Siri. Um, uh, um, anyway, um, 
I also asked you guys to make a prediction of your own, of um, how the world will look in 50 years. Peter, what have you got for us? I think the world population will rise and plateau at about 11 billion people. Uh, I think if you want to know more about that, I think the book Factfulness by Hans Rosling, I, I think that, that goes into a little bit there. I think he has a nice chart about um, about that. Okay. Barry, what about you? I think TV is going to be awesome. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I think... <laughs> Very uncontroversial. <laughs> it's fairly, uh, fairly similar to what I predicted. <laughs> I don't know. I look at the, at the last couple of years and uh, with, with series and movies and like this is the golden age of television by far. So just imagine what, what it will be like in 50 years. I predicted that the standard and quality of movie sequels and remakes will drop even further than it is today to a point where people will lobby to have <laughs> cheap cash grabs outlawed. And more original movies. People will be... just make the sequel before the original <laughs> yeah. now. People just be like, oh, it's a sequel. Oh, fuck, forgot to make the original. Oh, well, <laughs> people will buy it. Yeah. Put put a two next to the title and you double the revenue. <laughs> have you seen the first one, love? Oh, no, I don't remember, but it must have been good. <laughs> I don't think they made the first one. <laughs> if they're making a second one, then surely, surely it's good. And also we have a few um, predictions from um, friends of the podcast from Twitter. Um, Peter, do you mind reading them? Okay. Um, the podcast, What You're Reading, which is um, spelt um, Y-A for you. Uh, very trendy. I like it. <laughs> um, in the next 50 years, the world will have dissolved like snow. It will all be over. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. That's very, very optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're doing it, podcast. In 50 years, the movie Idiocracy will be a documentary. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Oh, have you, you guys have seen that movie? <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> I haven't. I really? Thought, I thought I just missed a joke and I wasn't going to comment. I was hopefully going to quickly skip over to the next one so you guys wouldn't notice how uninformed I am. I, I can't say it's a post-apocalyptic movie. Oh, damn. Not another pre-apocalyptic movie. <laughs> damn. <laughs> Lady Justice podcast. In 2070, the world will be destroyed. However, our internet data survived in space and a species of alien anthropologist will find our memes and have the wrong idea of us humans. Also, Chuck Norris is still alive. <laughs> is anthropologist just the study of humans? I think so. So alien anthropologist, is that, does that mean they're studying aliens or are they studying us? I think anthro is a word for humans. I mean, anthro, they're talking about okay. calling the current epoch the Anthropocene. But no, yeah, anthro okay. is specifically humankind. Oh. Okay, so these aliens obviously have a particular fetish. Yeah. <laughs> Blood and Fire Water podcast. By 2070, the people that live in the center of the earth, they will begin to lose all faith in humanity and they will send their Neo to reclaim the surface. Or we finally get that flying car they have been talking about for generations. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to meet Neo. I wonder if the people in the center of the Earth are listening now. They'll discover this. <laughs> Welcome, our listeners of Center Earth. We appreciate you very much. <laughs> Do not slaughter us. I am your friend. <laughs> anyway, the Gold Block Career Podcast. 50 years from now... Humans will work from home or go to class, but have access to virtual spaces in their homes. I like that. Um, they will no longer use physical wallets, but have pre-installed devices with their credit card details, IDs, and all other pertinent information in a highly secured environment. Humans will have made contact with the first otherworldly species, slowly trying to establish a suitable communication, and is creating interplanetary species around solar system. 
Underground tunnel travelling will be used as an alternative to mitigate traffic contrary to flying cars, which will only add to further complications. This guy's been listening to Elon Musk. (laughs) Um, Noise contamination, accidents, and regulation of airspace. So all in all, um, um, optimistic. (laughs) I think pretty optimistic compared to the central um, Earth overtaken. um, The world will have dissolved like snow. um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This this has been fun. Thank you, everyone, for sending us their predictions. Oh, yeah, let's go to the main discussion. Hey, um, just before we go into the main discussion, I wanted to mention one last thing. We have recently been um, networking a bunch for the podcast, you know, trying to get it out there and stuff. And uh, we've made quite a few podcast friends. Uh, We're going to start adding promo clips of other podcasts to the end of each episode. So feel free to stick around after the ending theme, uh, listen to a few promo clips. Usually it'll be just the one, but this time we have, I think, four promo clips of other podcasts of a friend of ours. Give it a listen. You might find something you enjoy. And, well, just one bonus for today is that we're going to add our own uh, promo clip that we made for the show. I think it came out pretty funny. Uh, Feel free to send it to your friends, anyone who might be interested in listening to the podcast. You don't have to convince them to listen, just send them the promo clip, let us do the talking. Thank you very much again for listening. And, uh, well, I hope you enjoyed this main discussion. I think it came out just great. Thank you. So this week we're talking about Pet Sounds, an album by the Beach Boys that I may have said it was released in 1965, but 1966 is the year. I came across this album a few years ago. I saw it in the um, 500 Best Albums of All Time list by the Rolling Stone magazine, and it came number two, and I was always curious about it. I bought it like eight years ago on a CD, never opened it until last week. So the Beach Boys, they were huge in the 60s. I think they started in 58 or 59, but their first album came out in 62. The band mostly consisted of Brian Wilson, which I think is the most well-known personality from that band. Um, Also two of his brothers, Dennis and Carl Wilson, their cousin, Mike Love, and a friend, Al Jardine, I think I'm saying it correctly. Anyway, they had a bunch of albums since 1962. I think by the time this album, Pet Sense, came out, they had 10 albums. That's 10 albums mm. in three and a half years. That's I think it's crazy. Just incredible. Anyway, between the first few albums, the Beach Boys didn't develop musically too much. Um, you know, all, all of their songs were about surfing and cars and stuff like that. But by the time they got to Pet Sounds, they made quite a big jump. Their first few albums were surf rock. Pet Sounds became definitely different than what they used to play. And Brian Wilson, he was always sort of the leader of the band, but by 1965, he stopped touring with the band. I think touring was hard on him, and he got a panic attack in the middle of touring, so he decided to stay at home, take it easy, and just focus on writing and recording music. So the band would go out and tour around the world or around America, and he would stay at home. And at a certain point, I think it was near the end of 1965, the band came back from tour. Um, Brian Wilson already had, I think, all the music and lyrics written for Pet Sounds. He played it to them. He said that they liked it and they went straight to recording it, but I read somewhere that they were kind of fighting over it. At the end, they agreed to do it. So the album came out to lukewarm reactions in America. They loved it in the UK, but people like the album grew on people, and it became kind of a, I can't say a cult album, but people 
love this album. Brian Wilson later said that he was sort of inspired by the Beatles' Rubber Soul album that just came out. Like, yeah. He said he didn't want to copy or emulate the album uh, Rubber Soul. He wanted to write something that is um, on the same level as it is. Because uh, back then, I think people used to buy singles and EPs more than albums. And it was one of the first albums that really just was strong from the beginning to end. Usually albums would support a single song. But that was just a strong album. Now, this album, like I said, the music here is more complicated than it, uh, more complex than it was up till now with the Beach Boys. And this album is considered to have changed the perception people had of Brian Wilson from a talented musician to a genius, which I tend to agree with that. I'll talk about that more a little later, I guess. Um, and this album is considered to have influenced a lot of musicians. Uh, later, I think uh, Paul McCartney said that uh, Sgt. Pepper album was inspired mm, by this one yeah. um, so that's about it what did you guys think of the album I've heard Pet Sounds before but it was one of those I think I might have clicked on a couple songs not listened to them all the way through because I had the perception that the Beach Boys were sort of second tier behind Beatles mm-hmm. Stones and Zeppelin and stuff um, obviously second tier is great yeah. but um, <laughs> I was just I just I just never dedicated the time and I did know it was uh, I had a cult-like following but um, I just never never occurred to me to really um, listen to it but when you brought it up I thought well great because 1966 is probably a lot of my favorite albums are from 1966 I, I love the Beatles and I know this is always compared to the um, rubber soul so I was looking forward to it I was primed to like it and um, when I listened to it the first time, I, I quite liked it, and I really fell in love with the second half of the album. I just um, there was something about it which I thought, oh, "Wow, this is just very, very nice to listen to. Very pleasant listening, actually." And I thought the melodies, um, as with the Beatles, um, I thought thought they were top quality, and I thought the um, instrumentation was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, about average for 1966, so I, I, I don't think the sound mixing is as good as probably. Sergeant Peppers, but I think it was still very good. And I think some of the instruments date a little bit. Um, some of the sort of the background vocals, I think, date the album a little bit, but not too much. But when I listened to it a second time, I enjoyed the first half of the album much more than the second half. And I'm not sure why, but I sort of liked the songs I didn't like. And then the songs I really liked, I sort of didn't like as much. So I'm not sure what happened, but I, I still have my favorites. But I'm a little bit biased, obviously, because I've only heard this maybe five, six times. But yeah, I just I find that I can't listen to it as much as I do for some other albums around the same time. I very much like the songs I like, but I I wouldn't find myself listening to it all the way through like I would with Abbey Road or um, Revolver or something like that by the Beatles. But uh, overall. It's a good listen because it's only 36 minutes, yeah. one of the shorter album. But yeah, it's a, it's a nice listen and it, it's something I'm just glad I got the opportunity to listen to. So what about you, Barry? I kind of tend to agree. I tried listening to it a couple of times and I kept uh, drifting off because it's very, I don't know, mm-hmm. the, the music is very nice, like all the way through the album. I, I found it also good as a, as a background music to work with which yeah. which i usually yeah. don't like i don't really like listening to things with with actual lyrics when trying to do work but it, it worked with this one so it's it's very soothing it's very nice when i started to read the lyrics i actually got to see a bit more depth than than i i initially expected yeah i agree i think all in all i enjoyed it but i didn't really get psyched about it i i'm not sure it's an album to get psyched about 
by the way, I like I'm sure a lot of the tracks are everywhere, you know, from movies and, and TV series, because even the first track, Wouldn't It Be Nice, uh, it ah, sounds yes. so familiar. I yeah. just can't put my finger on it, but definitely something that's, uh, that's everywhere. It's from the, um, that was from the Cadbury ad. Um, that one's where it says, wouldn't it be nice if the world were Cadbury? Uh, you could surf inside a chocolate tube, ride your board across away forever, <laughs> get wiped and never get a bruise. Um, it's very... Like that's that's what I heard at the moment, and honestly, on my first couple of listens, that really wrecked that song for me because <laughs> I just can't stop thinking about Cadbury. Um, for those who don't know, I don't really eat chocolate, so not not very enticing for me. But um, yeah, just like I was like, oh no, none of one of these jingles again. <laughs> but then I I sort of forgot about it. It's actually a very nice song on its own. It gets stuck in your head a little bit, but um, geez, they really. It's one of the Beach Boys' bigger bigger oh, really? hits. Really? Okay. It's, I, I I didn't I didn't know it was from the Beach Boys, but really? as soon as I heard, it, I said Cabri song. So um... <laughs> yeah, that I think it's it's a very pleasant album, and I guess a lot of people kind of grew up on it, and it's like the sounds of their childhood. I gotta say that I still can't really comprehend how it's you said it's it's like the the most uh, successful album or rolling stone ranked it number two and i mean look at its reviews uh, look on the wikipedia page it has like 10 a plus reviews and look at um in all music it has six thousand uh, reviews by users that gave it five stars it's huge it was one of the most successful albums of the time and i kind of agree i don't see how it's that highly rated but i'm gonna to try to explain this right at the time right you had 1962 1963 the quality was here i'm realizing this isn't working for an audio medium my hand is pretty low <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then we got here no um, <laughs> um see the gap no um okay 1960 the, the early 1960s music was so so i mean Obviously, there'll be some really cult albums. I don't want to sort of um, pretend everything was just um, was elevator music. But when we got to 1962 and 1963, when the Beatles were coming up and Bob Dylan was coming up and the Stones were coming up, so a, a few British bands, a few American um, acts and stuff, then we started to get it to the point where people were flocking to vinyl shops to see what was coming out so obviously the radio was big and the market for this was big like people were investing in music as they're not currently so when Beatles released some of their earliest albums say Please Please Me was one of the first which obviously that's not being held up as one of the best albums of all time but it was definitely a breakthrough and you had girls running in the street for this stuff and I think um People were sort of waiting year by year to see what the next big release was going to be. It was almost like the next iPhone. Like, all eyes were watching for what the Beatles were going to release. I mean, the Beatles were the biggest, but there was obviously other acts like the Beach Boys. And I think Rubber Soul, um, which came out in, what was it, 65? I think that's the first album, which I would say is almost a flawless album. A couple songs which didn't hold up as well, but it's... All the way through, every song is inventive, every song is creative, and every song really can hold its own even against songs 50 years later. And I think, um, I didn't know it, but as you said, the Beach Boys being inspired by that, I think they've made a similar album where every song is just perfected melody-wise, I think. Lyrics are obviously 
an added component. But I think in the 60s, people were really expecting people to be inventive with their melodies. So I think um, obviously now there's more sound production and stuff. But before, people wanted to hum songs and sing songs and perform them live. And I think if you can create a song of 10 plus songs where they are all hummable, I think you're going to have a recipe for success. And I think um, the reason why Pet Sounds is held up in such high regard is because you had the Beatles with uh, Rubber Soul and Revolver and people were coming to expect more and more. So when Sgt. Pepper came out, as much as it was a surprise album, it was it was expected that the Beatles would drop something like this. Whereas Pet Sounds, I think, is more of a cult hit because people weren't expecting people to release an album on par with the biggest band in the world by a group called the Beach Boys. And especially as it's an American group, I think there's a little bit of American pride going on as well. And for 1966, let's um, if you're just trying to compare say Revolver which came out in 66 versus Pet Sounds personally I'm a big fan of Revolver and a lot of people say it's their best album but I think they're very similar in the fact that they're all sharp two three minute songs um, on those two albums and they're all melody driven so when I say melody driven I mean the instrumentation comes second and lyrics come second and these are songs which you can play with a, a guitar or with a violin or um, just solo and you still have the bones of the song um, because it's just a good structure and I think that's what really um, takes this album to the next level and I think it's a reason why it's a cult sort of um, cult album because uh, when you get the songs like God Only Knows or um, Don't Talk or... Um, have like I know there's an answer these songs as soon as you say it you can imagine them in your head and um and not just that but they were popular for everybody so everyone can sort of the music world wasn't as fractured as it is today fractured decentralized whatever you want to say but I think people would be able to go to a record store and people would be able to talk um about the song and know everyone else has heard it similar to the Beatles because people like to be part of something that everyone's talking about and i think this is just one of those albums so um yeah it, it whilst i don't think it would be deserving of maybe a number two spot i feel i still think top 10 is of albums of all time is is not unfair i think that's i think it's quite representative so i don't know i think if you're ranking things by their impact at the time and you're taking that in account but i think just my experience i wouldn't have ranked it that high I think there's a little bit of reparations going on for the fact that it came out of a band that was called the Beach Boys yeah. and they're American and they're everything that the Beatles aren't, yet that sounds so similar and it's on such a high level, and especially that it wasn't received well. Yeah. Um, but as a person who sort of is immersed in that sort of 1960s world, I can tell you now that this is an album which would have gone well in 1968 or even 1970s. So the fact that it was released in 1966 tells you it was right at the forefront of music at that time. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it still holds up today, maybe not as much as some other um, albums. I think it dates a little bit, as I said, with the background vocals. I think that sort of dates an album, unfortunately. But, and I th don't think the recording quality is as good as some others out there, but I, th I still think, um, 
I would be remiss if I didn't say it was bang on for a 1966 album. So I sort of want to defend its spot, if you if you get what I mean. Yeah. I think it's what's interesting is to look at this album from, you know, the perspective of what the Beach Boys were doing until then. And, you know, there's a bunch of songs that are famous that are mostly, like I said, surf rock, like fun summer songs, you know, mm. like short um, hits. Yeah. And surfing in the USA, yeah, you know, yeah. those kind of songs. And, uh, California Girls and Barbara Ann. And, but when you get to this album, it's, it's more mature. It's a lot of love songs, but it's not just optimistic and fun and happy love songs. They're, I, I think each and every song, except maybe one, is about love. And they're exploring it from all kinds of directions, like breakup songs and uh, love that's failing or waiting for someone to love you. And they're they're more a bit darker, more mature, and they're talking about even bad experiences, which I don't think the Beach Boys did before that. And this album is musically complicated. I think Brian Wilson put everything he had into it. I think he he's a genius. He knows music. He knows music theory just so well, and he does amazing things here. And he it doesn't sound complicated. You know, it's complicated if you look into it. Yeah, but it feels. Easy. It's easy listening. It's it's it it's does. flowing. Easy, pleasant, nice. Yeah, and it's you wouldn't have noticed it if you didn't look for it. The album has modulations, tempo changes, sounds that you don't usually find in these kinds of albums. Maybe maybe if you compare it to the Beatles, it doesn't stand out too much. But to me, it's very very special. I think this is such a creative album, and I think you can hear that every note, every drum beat, everything is is calculated it's just in place you know and to add to that i also really liked the lyrics brian wilson worked on the lyrics with someone called um tony asher and i think they they've done a really good job here i think the lyrics are very well crafted they're fairly simple but they're interesting and fun they're not just basic you know they're not just repeating the same uh, lyric over and over again and they're fun to say they roll off the tongue and like I said, most of the album is about love and relationships. A lot of the songs have the feeling of, of wanting something, you know, of craving something, of longing for something, which I tend to fall for. Um, I really don't like the album cover. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't like the album you know. cover either. I didn't really think about it before. No, it's just, it's just weird. weird. <laughs> but all in all, I really think this, I, I really like this album. I enjoyed it a lot and I'm happy to have listened to it. But like if I'm if I'm comparing it to Deja Vu, the album we did on episode uh, two. Yeah. You said Deja Vu wasn't really in your wheelhouse, but you still enjoyed it. Is that is that correct? When I first played Deja Vu, I thought it was nice. If I didn't have to listen to it for the podcast, I would have listened to it once or twice and then moved on. Okay. But I loved that album. Every okay. time I went to listen to it, I listened to it, I think, maybe once a day, sometimes twice, and I was excited to listen to it. Cool. And this album, Pet Sounds, as much as I liked it, I really liked this album, I wasn't looking forward to listening to it. I don't think, like Deja Vu, I listened to it for a couple weeks more after we recorded the episode. I think I'm, I think I'm done with Pet Sounds for a while. I'll probably chop this up like a butcher and sort of put maybe my five top songs. I'll probably put them into another playlist and um, I'll probably play them um, not on a repeat, but, you know, I'll play them once in a while because I I don't think I'm done with this album. I think there's still more that I can wring out of this. I can see that. Another thing that contrasts this album to Deja Vu is that there's a couple of songs here that I don't want to listen to anymore. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go okay. into it too deeply, but uh, I think uh, it's it's not a bad song, but it's my least favorite song. It's the I Know There's an Answer song. Oh, really? That's one of my favorites. I can't That's, see oh, why. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I didn't like the lyrics of the song. They They feel condescending to me. I think like all of the other songs were about love. So I kind of figured this song is a love song and or at least about love. The song is about... I can't understand other people. I can't understand how they're living without love or mm. why they're so shy. But I, I've read somewhere that it's about drug use, which I don't know. Oh, really? um, it's even, it even makes it even more condescending because I don't think everyone should use drugs or if you're not using drugs and you're missing too much. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not against drugs at all, but I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't ever sing about if you're not using LSD, then you're missing. And I have an answer for you. Peter, you love this song. Well, um, yeah, I, I was trying to debate what my favorite song was. It was originally God Only Knows, but that was my, my first five listens and it got a bit repetitive. But uh, I do like Don't Talk um, in brackets, put your head on my shoulder. That's the other song I, really I didn't like. like. <laughs> oh really that's good guys that's good now now fight <laughs> oh, don't talk is is a great song it's beautiful it's well written but i wasn't waiting to listen to it and it just goes too long um i think we're getting a bit of a trend that with the with songs i think you and maybe barrio as well but definitely um definitely you and on um are much more concerned with the lyrical content than I am like maybe it's just the inner Led Zeppelin fan for me, but lyrics are very much a tertiary sort of goal when I listen to a a song. Like I, I just I'm just not listening for it. In fact, I'll listen to a song a hundred times, and then someone will say, "What's it about?" And I'll say, "No idea." Like it just doesn't. It's just not doesn't register for me. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's a personality difference or something like that. I never listen to the lyrics. In fact, the first few years of me listening to music, I used to only listen to like heavy metal. And that's, you know, the growls and screams. You can't understand anything they're saying. Mm. Or they're in Norwegian. And I don't know that language at all. <laughs> so I never listen to lyrics. And just now when we're listening to these songs for the podcast, I am reading the lyrics and trying to understand what themes they have. And I don't usually put a lot into the lyrics, but just that song, I know there's an answer, kind of ticked me. Do you find if you actually research lyrics a bit more, then it bugs you or it fulfills you a little bit more? Or? Uh, I think so. I think yeah. I think if the, the song has lyrics that add to the feeling or if the feeling of the yeah. song supports the lyrics, then I have a deeper connection to it. But still, I mm. never, ever listen to the lyrics or read them unless it's for the podcast. I think there's only one album which I can say that I really value the lyrics of a lot, which is the um, so it's, it's John Lennon's first album after the Beatles called Plastic Ono Band. That one's a very emotional sort of album. I've always loved the lyrics on that. And I never tried to like the lyrics. It just, it just hit me. Yeah. But even when I listen to the Beatles, I'm not really too concerned with the lyrics like there's a song called maxwell's silver hammer no idea what it's about but it's it's <laughs> a funny lyrics you know what i mean yeah there are specific i don't know albums or artists where the lyrics are more important than other artists like yeah. i don't care what iron maiden sings about but Mitloaf, each and every song is relying on the lyrics to, to take you through a story you know so it's it's different it's yeah. different for every artist i also tend to agree i think for me at least like having an interesting lyrics that 
you can kind of resonate with. And then that's one of my criteria for a really good song. Mm. Because I think there's there's a lot of songs that I like musically, but like my favorite songs also kind of include the meaning and, and through the lyrics and the meaning, the actual feeling that it, it kind of feels like it connects you to the actual artist. I don't know. It, it's something a bit more... Okay. Mario, was there a song mm. that popped out to you? Like, was there a song that you really liked? Or I gotta say that for me, <laughs> I'm sorry, but kind of everything kind of smooshed together. So I can't say that I have a favorite one. No, I can understand that. That album, while having used a bunch of different instruments and stuff, kind of blends together after a while. I don't know. What about you, Peter? Do you have a favorite song? Just, you, you listed a few. Um, I just mentioned uh, I Know There's an Answer and Don't Talk as two of my favorite, but I think you still believe in me, the second song. There's something about the bells or the chimes at the start of that song that really remind me of Christmas. I'm not sure. Mm. There's a good chance that it was actually adopted as an ad, but I just can't think of the ad. <laughs> but um, I, think, I think that might be my favorite song, actually. There's just something mesmerizing about the da, 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 like the... Yeah when it keeps on going and i thought the first time i listened to it i thought it was going to end it like kind of went it finished and then it started up a little bit again and then it finished and it started up a little bit again and if it didn't start up and stop again i'd probably rank it maybe top three or something because the end is very i don't know it has like an hey jude sort of vibe mm. where you're just tapping your foot and really enjoying it in fact i wish it went for another minute but um i think that might be my favorite so um, yeah, you still believe in me. They do that a lot. They do, yeah. The song goes to an end, they play the coda, the tail of the song, and then they kind of stop and start again and stop and start again, then it fades out, which in this song I really liked, but then they do it to a lot of other songs and it kind of yeah. gets over boring really fast. <laughs> no, that one, I think it worked well. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. And it has, I don't know, this string instrument, maybe it's a sitar or a harpsichord, hmm, I'm not sure. not sure. But it sounds well, It's. Uh, I really like the the melody. Um, like you said, you can play it on every instrument and it works. I think that's what this album really benefits from. Like, just some of the ways that they string together the words are just, you hear it one time and you think, wow, that's cool. I want to say it in my head and I want to listen to it again. Mm -hmm. Like, you just, like, just the way they bend the words. Because sometimes rhyming is a little bit boring. just feels very repetitive. But they did it in a way which is just so inventive and so different and real innovation, yeah. real creation, you know? I just like the harmonies in this and the uh, melodies. Um, Inon, what was your favorite um, song? My favorite song was um, Here Today, which I went to Genius.com to look at the lyrics and I noticed that they count how many times people view each song. And Here Today was the least viewed song by a long shot, by oh, wow. far. And I just love this song. The music is very well written and very catchy. It really reminds yeah. me of uh, Beatles songs, of uh, McCartney and Lennon songs. That is a very Beatles, Lennon-McCartney sort yeah. of... And I really like uh, the lyrics are about, you know, how how beautiful and amazing new love is, but how fleeting it is, which I really like. It's it's not a happy song. It's not an optimistic song, but it's it's strong, I think. The, the instrumental bit in the middle is not too long. It's not boring. Changes a lot. There's a bit where it sounds like a circus music. I didn't expect to like this song too much at first, but it it really, near the end of these two weeks of listening to this album, it popped out. And I think this is the one I'll take with me to, into the future. Did you guys listen to it in stereo or mono? Stereo. Yeah. I listened to it in mono. Really? I wasn't sure. I didn't do much research, but I know with the Beatles, 
Beatles sound much better in mono because it wasn't mixed in stereo originally. And so I sort of, I sort of don't trust um, <laughs> uh, stereo for some of the 60s bands. Hmm. Um, I didn't even think of that. Unless they specifically mix it. Uh, it's my fault. I should have listened to it in um, in stereo so I could compare. But I know with that song, that was that was quite cool in um, stereo. So I might actually listen to the album again um, in stereo just to see what I would take away. But the, some of the lower notes are really pronounced in that one. So let me ask you: Would you guys play this album like in the background when having guests or something? Hmm. Uh, my house is a bit of an authoritarian dictatorship uh, when it comes to music. <laughs> Um, so no problem playing pet sounds at home, but when I have friends over there very much, um, shout out to my friends, uh, a <laughs> bit of a Ed Sheeran fans, bit of, you know, more modern, maybe queen and, um, sort of, yeah, that's all I can name from the, <laughs> I can't even name more post Malone. Is that a thing? I don't know. Um, I just think this album has more of a personal sound, you know, it's more of a, something you listen to on your own. With my friends, I sort of try to play a little bit more. Um, I don't want to force people to listen to like Beatles and Bob Dylan, especially, even though I do. But <laughs> I, 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 my default is usually to play Pink Floyd because people, I don't know why, but Pink Floyd is more accepted than a lot of other bands. I usually play the Animals album because it's less lyrical driven and it's sort of it's very nice to have in the background. Um, so with this, I think this is too much to play for people that aren't ready to listen to it. So I probably wouldn't play this to entertain guests. Yeah. Um, I'd play it to entertain me <laughs> when I'm with guests, <laughs> but, um, maybe not to entertain guests. I actually, I would use it to entertain guests. I think, I don't know. My, my experience with it is that it's really good as a background music because it's chill. It's kind of have like generally a good vibe. Okay. And yeah, but but you know that depends on the occasion, on the gathering, yeah, and the type of atmosphere yeah, you're trying exactly. to get. Yeah. Like if you're having a, what I'm imagining is like it's raining outside. You got a couple of friends over. Uh, you're drinking something and talking, and there's a chill vibe. Check it out, Beach Boys for a rainy day. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I agree with that. Barrio, though, yeah. Uh, another interesting thing I, I noticed, um, I know I, you, you said you haven't read the lyrics, but the last song, Caroline No, um, it starts with uh, yeah. lyrics that really, really reminded me of the movie we watched last week, um, American Beauty. It's a song about Caroline. Yeah. The girl in the movie is Caroline. But anyway, the, the lyrics starts with, where did your long hair go? Where is the girl I used to know? How could you lose that happy glow? Oh, Caroline, no. Which sounds exactly like hmm. what Lester told Caroline, hmm. uh, like when they were snuggling on the sofa and he almost spilled beer. Like th This <laughs> reminded yeah. me of that movie so much. <laughs> Everything connects. Oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Yep. <laughs> um, what'd you guys think of the instrumental songs? They had like two songs, Pet Sounds and Let's Go Away for a While. They wrote them to be songs. They had lyrics, but they decided to leave them instrumental. I think um, Pet Sounds was written for um, a James Bond movie, but oh, really? I don't think it was attached to a James Bond movie. I think it was written in preparation for one. Um, so um, take that um, how you will. But I, I enjoyed Pet Sounds more, but um, I think both were, um, both were okay. Not my favorites. Not, not too bad, though. One thing um, that you might not have known was the vocals for Wouldn't It Be Nice took an entire week to record. So um, <laughs> they had just come back from touring and Brian Wilson wanted them to come to the studio and 
do all that stuff. And it took them a week. And uh, apparently Brian Wilson was so demanding that Mike Love started referring to him as dog years and joked that Wilson was able to hear things that normally human (laughs) beings um, could not, including an impure thought. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bit of a dictator um, boss. So... Um, but yeah, he was a little bit like the main guy, Brian Wilson. So yeah, a lot of people are considering this album to be kind of a solo Brian Wilson. Yeah, album. yeah. And I think like what you said, like um, the Brian Wilson could hear a lot of stuff that other people couldn't. I think that's kind of where the name of the album came from. I think he used a bunch of different instruments and a bunch of different sounds. And from mm. what I've heard, they kind of the band kind of referred to these as um, Brian Wilson's pet sounds. <laughs> and that's where the name of the album come from. But that's that's obviously just a theory. I mean, I read other theories as well, but this was my favorite one. <laughs> mm, I like yeah. that one. <laughs> and I think uh, one other song that I really liked was um, Sloop John B. Just a very fun oh, yeah? song. Yeah, it's not a deep song or anything. It's a very fun song. And I, I heard that like the Beach Boys really didn't want to do that song. It's like a traditional sailor song the, from, yeah. I think, the Caribbeans. And the the record company pushed them to do that song, and it came out as a single and did really well. Hmm. I wonder why did they why did they push for that one to be recorded? I didn't think they would have such a vested interest. In I don't know. Maybe song. they wanted like a fun Beach Boys type single to put out. I there. think yeah. Do you think it was more reminiscent of their older stuff? A bit, yeah. I think so. But maybe that's why they wanted to have some sort of stuff to keep the old listeners or something like that and if they release that as a single and they release something more modern as a um more more sorry uh more you know different yeah they could get a larger audience a lot of it comes down to money at the end of the day yeah but oh yeah i wouldn't be surprised but um i didn't i didn't mind that song either so um i thought, I thought it, was it was fun don't know if i would have released that one as a single though there's a lot of interesting things that the Beach Boys did after this album. Like, people kind of today know their early stuff. A lot of people know um, this album, Pet Sounds. But they kept putting out a lot of albums later. And not all of them were headed by uh, Brian Wilson. And uh, some of them are very interesting. Like, I think a few years after Pet Sounds came out, they, they had an album called Wild Honey, which was a bit more funky and R&B and and that's very interesting uh, from the Beach Boys and there's also one which people really liked that I found very interesting it's an album called Surfs Up from 1971 so like I don't know five years after Pet Sounds came out and Barrio what do you think if I tell you that there's an album by the Beach Boys called Surfs Up what do you expect to see on the cover? Um, A blonde dude surfing catching this awesome wave nice that's I, I totally agree with you i send you a link look at the cover of this album it looks blue it looks depressing and surfs up the first song in this album is called don't go near the water it sounds like a jaws song <laughs> did you did you listen to this album in on yeah, I did. Once, it's very depressing. It's very interesting musically, but it's a lot of blue songs. Like, even the, the song Surfs Up, it's very blue. Um, there's a song, Till I Die. It's a very weird album, but yeah, I think the, the Beach Boys catalog is very interesting and, and worth a, a, a second look like uh, from, from today's perspective. Uh, I really am going to try and listen to other albums by the Beach Boys, Maybe not too much pet sounds anymore because I've had enough of that, but there's a lot more to dig up here. Well, if I can kind of summarize my feelings, I think 
it's a pretty good album. I'm glad to have listened to it. I don't think there's a lot of people I would recommend this album to specifically. I don't know. And also, I, I have to say, I may have built this album up in my mind for years. I've had it on my shelf for eight years. And I don't know, maybe if I didn't, I would have enjoyed it more. Uh, what can I do about that? <laughs> um, I don't think I'll be listening to this album as much as I did Deja Vu after we listened to it. But all in all, pretty good album. Uh, I hope people won't be angry at us for not really <laughs> loving it. But, yeah, I think, I think we have a consensus that uh, there are probably other people that also agree it's not like the best thing they've ever heard. It is nice, though. I mean, it was a, it was a nice experience. I'm glad that we heard it. Yeah, yeah me too. I think... Um, this is an album that was very good for 1966, bit of a landmark album. I think um, if we look back at the 60s, I think this needs to be mentioned. I, I, I'll still take a few songs away from this and um, listen to them in my own time. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I would say, I, I'm going to say it's a great album. I know, um, I know maybe you're not as much into this stuff. And maybe if I wasn't into this stuff as much, I'd say maybe just a good album. But I'll say it's a great album. Because just because it's not my absolute favorite, I think um, I, th- I still think it's a great album. I think it might have just been overhyped, underhyped initially, initially, and now it's been sort of as a cult hit. It's been overhyped a little bit. Yeah. So um, I think if you just go in with modest expectations, I think you'll like it for what it is. And I'm definitely glad that you you brought it up and on. Um, okay, next episode, uh, we'll be talking about the documentary movie called Man on Wire. Peter, you chose this one. Tell us anything about it. Well, I wanted to do a bit of a documentary this time. Uh, and I was looking at what the sort of the most popular documentaries are, something that everyone um, would be able to uh, watch, which isn't too niche, something that maybe some people have already seen. And I remembered there was a... Um, a film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he plays the person who's trying to walk between the twin towers on the rope. And I thought, hmm, maybe we should do that. But it turns out there's a documentary a couple of years before that in 2008. So it's a British um, biographical documentary film uh, directed by James Marsh called Man on Wire. So um, basically this is an audacious attempt to try to walk on a tightrope with no support between the Twin Towers. Um, so get your hand towel ready because you'll be sweating um, sweating through the skin with this one. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's starring um, Philippe Petit um, as himself. So um, I think that was interesting as well. I didn't, didn't realize he actually um, he was the guy that crossed it. But, um, yeah, so I'm not sure too much about it. But um, I'm hoping that it'll be uh, um, sort of an interesting one and um, perhaps we can talk about the human psyche after this one, why humans like to do these sort of things. But um, it seems like it could be quite interesting. Barry, have you ever heard of it? Nope. No, me neither. It, um, it won a few awards, so um, I don't think it'll be awful to watch. No. Only <laughs> hour and a half-ish. So um, no, hopefully it's interesting and maybe we can sort of um, branch into a bit of a conversation about um, sort of extreme sports and stuff like that. Uh, we've done a couple of movies, a couple of albums, a video game, a book, and now we're doing a documentary movie. I think we're branching out yep. pretty nicely. 
Yeah. Definitely let us know if you want us to do something different. Mm -hmm. I've got an idea of something we can do which doesn't involve any um, technology in the future. So um, I haven't even told you guys what it is. So um, perhaps um, there's some different stuff you would like to recommend as a listener. We have 50 years until China and Russia take over. So um, (laughs) it's um, going to be good. So... um, Again, our captors, the Russians and the Chinese, we hope you enjoy the podcast. And, and the people from the middle of the earth. Us. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And the people from the middle of the earth. People. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd love to see that geop- geopolitical movement for the middle <laughs> earthers. Do you reckon they'll be flat earthers or do you reckon they'll be round earthers? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good Something question. to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Peter. Thank you, Vario, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us next time, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya. Twenty-four hours is like three weeks. Wookies, lasers, Death Star. So slugs up your butt is bad. Is that what we've gleaned from this? Hi, we're the Culture Quest Podcast. We're on a quest to become more cultured people by discussing a movie, a music album, a book, or anything else really each episode. Check us out, culturequestpodcast.com. Good morning. Are you ready for an old-fashioned radio show reminiscent of 1940s audio dramas and creature features? Then look no further than The Daddy Bone Show. That's right, it's me, your new favorite morning radio show host, Daddy Bones. Follow me, a 1980s radio DJ lost in a post-apocalyptic radioactive future, and discover tales of monsters and the supernatural from cultures around the world. If you like shows like Lights Out, Tales from the Crypt, Twilight Zone, or Are You Afraid of the Dark, then tune in every month to The The Daddy Daddy Bone Bone Show. And I'm Jane. And we have a brand new podcast called Bedknobs and Broomflicks, where we talk about witches of the entertainment world. From the horror movies Warlock, Suspiria, The Witch, and The Blair Witch Project. To the more comedic or whimsical, such as Harry Potter, Hocus Pocus, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and The Blair Witch Project. No movie, TV show, or book is off limits. All witches, man witches, sorry warlocks, we're not calling you that. Witches brews, witches of history, familiars, and witch-like activity will be discussed as we laugh and have fun talking about the wonderful world of witches. So join us every other week for some fun witchy talk. All witches welcome. Hi everyone. Goldbuck Career is a weekly podcast focused on making short episodes about helping you sort things out. We're unique in the sense that we combine both personal growth and personal finance, exploring interesting topics such as setting a goal, mitigating procrastination, mindfulness meditation, exploring the mysteries of sleep, and on the other hand, tips on money managing, investing, and much more. If you are interested, find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter at GoldblockCareer. Hope to see you soon. Do you enjoy podcasts with foul mouth hosts who talk about crime? How about the ramblings of two insomniac moms trying to navigate life while also making a hobby of following every crazy murder and crime that pops up in the news? Then look no further. On True Crime Project, we cover everything from the local cases that keep us up at night to big name serial killers who also keep us up at night. Join us weekly so that you too can have trouble sleeping. And maybe even have a hand in helping us solve one of the mysterious unsolved murders or disappearances. Check us out wherever you get your podcast fix.